Google search lately and a yellow warning message popped up saying the way Aussies search on Google is under threat. To help us understand why these messages are appearing, this Media Files podcast is about a proposed government regulation that will force Google and Facebook to pay for news on their sites. I am Andrea Carson from La Trobe University and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Dodd from the University of Melbourne. Our expert guests today are Professor Alan Fowles, the former chair of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and Anna Draffin, CEO of the Public Interest Journalism Initiative. Welcome. Professor Fowles, what is the federal government's proposed new code? And in your opinion, should tech companies be forced to pay for news on their sites? Yes, they should be. And uh, the code is a mixture of the application of a code under the Australian Competition and Consumer Act and legislative backing for that, which is intended to go through Parliament fairly soon. And the code requires Google and Facebook in particular to enter into bargaining with Australian media organisations, big and small, from News and Channel 9 Fairfax down to much smaller entities uh, and to reach uh, an outcome regarding payment to the media organisations uh, in relation to their supply of material that is used by Facebook and Google platforms. That's the core of it and there's a few other things, certain mandatory requirements also, but Above all, it's about payment. We'll come to those in a moment. Given what's happened to the news media over the last 10 years in particular with advertising revenues migrating online, as have audiences, which has left many traditional forms of media, such as radio, television and newspapers, without the incomes that they had in the past, is this going to be, this world-first legislation, going to be the solution to help create a sustainable news environment in Australia? It's part of the solution. I think other things will be required, but it is a very big uh, and potentially very important step forward in addressing that fundamental problem of the continuing healthy existence of media. And uh, you represent the Public Interest Journalism Initiative. What's the interest from your perspective? How does this speak to public interest journalism in particular? So the ACCC, through their digital platform inquiry and their final report released last year, identified that there's a significant market power imbalance between the digital platforms and the news organisations in what constitutes contemporary um, news industry. And... Um, you know, a core concern there is that um, with the flood of the advertising dollar to the digital platforms, that the business model that has underpinned and subsidised public interest journalism um, produced from the from news organisation has been completely undermined and therefore threatens um, the availability and ongoing production of public interest uh, journalism across Australia. Anna, this is uh, being talked about as something that will go through Parliament by the end of the year. Why is there such an urgency on this? Well, um, the 
ongoing trend over the last 10 years has obviously been been this uh, complete disruption to the news industry, but COVID has accelerated um, that demise. And what we have seen through the first two months of COVID hitting in Australia, on average, we saw a newsroom uh, close daily. We are starting to see some re-emergence um, with some green shoots of startups happening in local communities, but those uh, commencement of new services certainly don't offset the nature of the closures experienced over the last six months during COVID. And if we want to ensure that there is ongoing diversity of voice in news media across Australia and equally coverage across all Australian communities, we absolutely need government intervention. Well, what seems to be extraordinary about this is that the government is on board. I'm presuming the opposition is as well. Have you had to make major compromises to get it to that point? Is this what you want it to be to get it through the parliament? Um, the government and the ACCC have arrived at the uh, notion of an industry code, and this was one of the key recommendations that, again, came out of that digital platform inquiry last year. Um, on Pidgey's part, we see the need for uh, uh, multi-policy settings, um, and the code is one of those, but it is certainly not the panacea for the industry as a whole. Um, so we would uh, expect that the code would have other supportive policy measures um, coming into play over the next 12 to 24 months to ensure market sustainability looking forward. And do you have a view on that? Is that something that, um, you know, you've, you've seen this work before where you've tried to get codes implemented by government to become legislated? Yes. Um, look, uh, first of all, it hasn't really gone into Parliament yet, but all the signs are that uh, everyone will support it in principle. There may be some argument about the details. Um, and then as far as getting to this point is concerned, I would say that the government and the ACCC have been fairly uncompromising. Uh, they have not bowed to pressure from the digital platforms or to anyone else. They have simply done a big report uh, last year where they said that there was unequal bargaining power uh, and something ought to be done about it. And then they said maybe a code. Then when they tried to negotiate a code, and the government already supported that, uh, they said that they weren't getting sufficient response from Google and Facebook, so they needed a compulsory code. So the government stepped forward and the combination of the two, that is the legislative backing by the government and the ACCC's code, has emerged as... I'd say, a, so a relatively uncompromised document. That doesn't mean it's unfair or unequal, but there are no signs at this stage of some kind of political compromise. And I would say that despite the threats that Andrea mentioned at the beginning, that they will just proceed to implement the code. The big media companies are obviously on board with this because they are likely to be the most obvious beneficiaries. 
Some of the tech companies argue that they already contribute to the news media environment. They provide a vehicle for News Corp and for the nine publications to get bigger audiences than they otherwise would. It, has that value to the news companies been lost in some of the arguments here, that it seems to be all one way? Well, on the whole, the ACCC took the side of the big news businesses and the small, and they said that even though certain things are done by Google and Facebook here and their contributions, and despite the fact that there are benefits to news organisations in having their material displayed on the digital platforms, it was still an unfair outcome that there needed to be some payment for the use of all the material. So the balance of advantage and disadvantage is against the news organisations, and that's why they think there should be a code with payment. Could we get a situation where there is the, the code goes through, there's forced arbitration, uh, independent arbitrator makes a decision about how much money should be paid, could we be in a position where that independent arbitrator decides that uh, that amount of money is actually very small? Well, it's possible. There is wide scope for the arbitrators to arrive at conclusions. There are some criteria in the proposed law that will give them a guide as to, some guide as to how to approach the matter. Um, I would say, speaking loosely, that if the arbitrator comes up with uh, a minimal amount, that would be a surprise. Rod Sims recently speculated a little bit. Um, it is so-called final offer arbitration. So what that means is that if your final offer is incredibly low, then the arbitrator is not likely to go with that. Or if your demand is extraordinarily high, so there's quite a strong incentive to meet somewhere in the middle. And then Rod just speculated, he no more than that, that um, you know, say they're looking at the cost of journalism and they figured out a cost and then they said, well, only 1% of that is payable. That wouldn't fare very well under final arbit offer arbitration, but if it was 100%, that wouldn't fare very well. And he kind of hinted at, you know, 10, 20, 30% of the cost for that variable in the bargaining. But that's just his speculation and it was interesting. <laughs> Is there precedence for the binary arbitration, the forced arbitration model? And what level of appeal will Google and Facebook have if they are still dissatisfied with the outcome? So there are precedents in the US and in wage bargaining. It's an old idea which is sometimes invoked. Um, it was also used in Canada in the communications area um, when TV was bargaining. I think it was also over sport. In the US, prominently over baseball, sometimes in wage bargaining. Um, I would comment that to my slightly limited knowledge, it's best often used when both sides and the arbitrator are highly informed, they've got a lot of data, and you've got a fair idea where they might end up. 
This is a novel situation. You might say it's a stroke of genius for resolving the matter, or you might say it's something that could have unintended consequences. On the appeal point, um, I'm unclear about that, but it does seem to me that there is no appeal right that any of the parties have in regard to the arbitration um, with a couple of exceptions. First of all, it does say that with the final offer, if the arbitrators really think it's against the public interest or the consumer interest, they can pick another number. But there are a lot of signs that they don't want that to happen and it won't happen. But on the legal appeal, I would have said that there doesn't seem to be room for an appeal because there's always room for appeal on whether the process uh, is faulty. But again, I would be hopeful that the process would not be faulty. Anna, both the ABC and SBS have left, been left out of this, in a sense left out in the cold. What's the rationale for that? Is, is there a strong rationale? Is it something that PG supports? So the public broadcasters um, are included with regard to the minimum standards um, that include the entire news industry. The portion of the code they've been left out of is with regard to any remuneration for their content. And the ACCC has come out quite clearly in saying that that was the government's call um, and the government has uh, made that decision based on the fact that the two broadcasters receive public funding. That being said, there is an area for consideration with regard to SBS um, where approximately 30% of their um, annual budget is derived from commercial services. Um, so there could be an argument to be mounted for their inclusion there. Equally, there needs to be consideration of unintended consequences that if the public broadcaster's content is set aside, uh, will that lead to market distortion in terms of uh, content and algorithmic preferencing for that content over commercial deals? And that remains untested. So it's going to be interesting to see that how that evolves over time um, and where the pressures will come from, both in terms of the digital platforms and the news industries. There's split opinion amongst news organisations uh, at all levels as to whether the public broadcaster's content should be calculated or not. And you've mentioned but algorithms. Think, That's another part of this, that, that algorithmic changes should be more transparent. Is that realistic? And what is the benefit? What's the net result of that, do you think? So the feedback we've had from news organisations is wanting notice on algorithmic changes so that they can better understand their provision of news and equally understand where there's going to be a dramatic financial impact um, in terms of readership and reach onto their content. Uh, from the digital platforms, so far, the advice we're getting is that there are constraints um, around their ability to always meet a 28-day notification period. Um, so it this talks to the information asymmetry that exists um, and to Alan's earlier point that in most arbitration models, uh, both parties have access to high levels of data. The novelty here is that um, there is a distortion in terms of access to information. It sits with the digital platforms um, 
and of course we must acknowledge that that is the nature of their uh, commercial advantage, generally speaking, is that they uh, draw huge amounts of data and analyse huge volumes of data as part of their ongoing business, which is different to the business of the news organisations, which is largely focused on producing news content and reaching audiences. So how the code actually, how far the code can go towards addressing that information asymmetry, again, remains untested. It will correct it to some extent, but it will never be able to fully correct it. Alan, I wanted to ask you about how resolute you think the government at the ACCC will be in the face of this onslaught that we're going to see from Facebook and Google and the others. How confident are you that it will get through the Parliament, through the Senate, and, and, and what sort of pressure can they look forward to? Because, you know, the early indications are that it's going to be considerable. Um, uh, I don't think there'll be any legislative problems with either party or minority parties in general. There may be a few details argued about, including on your question about the ABC. Um, now, I think it's normal, it's par for the course in ACCC matters that parties make threats. Always, whenever I was there, with jobs, investment, higher prices, we'll leave the country, everything. So that's pretty normal. And, and also um, this, I think people will ask Google and Facebook to suck it and see, to see what turns out instead of just going home with their cricket bat or baseball bat. But if they start to do things, well, that would be interesting. In Spain, something a little bit like this was done by Google. It withdrew all its news functions. They continued to operate, but they carried no news snippets. Now, in Australia, I think the government and the ACCC have prepared themselves for that in various ways. Uh, the law is structured that they still have to pay. And also, um, I personally think that the government has got this huge stick in the closet if Google walks or partly walks, and that is they'll put on a digital tax. A digital tax is being talked about globally, mainly at the OECD, and virtually every member of the OECD wants to put a digital tax on the platforms except the US, certainly the US under Donald Trump. And what I think we're all waiting to see what happens with the election, but um, even if the US continues to oppose, I think a lot of countries are just gonna proceed with their own digital tax. So in some ways, Google might find itself better off and Facebook, if they settle for this lesser thing that's happening, that they have to pay something to support the continuation of public interest journalism. I'm not sure they'll see it that way, but that would be rational. Why is the government picking on Facebook and Google? Why not Twitter, Weibo, lots of other providers of um, social media? The structure of the law is simply that the government can declare digital platforms and 
it's just explicitly chosen two at this stage and left the door open for others. And certainly the intent of a future code would be to capture new market entrants, both from the new side of the business as well as digital platforms. But um, look at the Australian market share, Facebook and Google dominate. It does look like they're not wanting to pick a fight with China, though. One, one reading of it. It does, but equally, you know, with TikTok's ownership still under discussion and potentially partial ownership through American interests, that may change. As we all know, the digital landscape can change dramatically and who the dominant market players are in 12 months' time um, could look substantially different. And we all have vague memories of MySpace. Something remarkable happened in my household this week. I have two teenagers and an 11-year-old, and both the teenagers came to me asking, what are these yellow messages that are flashing up when I use YouTube and when I use Google search? And they wanted to know about the mandatory uh, bargaining code. How powerful is the backlash that we're seeing from Google? We also saw a Facebook op-ed in the City Morning Herald last month that gave a veiled threat, I thought, that Facebook might pull out of Australia, as you said, happened in Spain with uh, Google in the past. Should we be concerned as consumers that our services are not going to run the way that we've become accustomed to? Well, I think, you know, we should be concerned about all of this. The um, Google actions and maybe Facebook in Spain weren't total withdrawal. They were withdrawal in relation to publishing news snippets. Now, um, with these threats... Um, I, uh, it, it's very hard to say what will happen, but, um, I mean, if they decide on something really dramatic, like somehow to withdraw totally from Australia, uh, I think there would be all sorts of repercussions for them, but, uh, and some new people would jump in and seize the business as fast as they could. Um, so they have to be a little bit worried about the repercussions for themselves, and um, they might get threats from other countries. But it is true that they are very, very concerned about Australia because we're first in the world. They don't like the precedent. They're putting on maximum pressure. Um, of course, if I were an Australian politician um, and I got a lot of messages from the international users, because this is going all over the world, what you have reported, I would think there are not many votes there. And also, uh, uh, it's a fact that politicians often look pretty good if they stand up to big, powerful entities like Google. They become heroes, and uh, often the threats fade away or aren't that significant. But it will be very interesting to keep an eye on it if it gets serious. And conversely, it also keeps politicians in a in the good books with Rupert Murdoch if this goes through. Another formidable media player that has concerned politicians in the past on both sides of the political divide. Yes, there'll be quite a good punch up if, um, if um, things of that sort start happening. Anna, are you able to sort of sum up what you think its effect will be, how it will actually have an impact on public interest journalism in Australia? 
So I think it'll be an effective instrument for the major news organisations um, and certainly will go some way towards some cost recovery to, uh, so that they continue to invest in their public interest journalism arms of their news divisions. Our concern still sits on the net benefit for the small to medium players because this is uncharted territories. And that really takes us back to our opening comments that the code alone isn't necessarily going to be the solution, particularly for that end of the market, and that we would see the need for complementary policy that would support, for instance, new market entrants um, would largely sit outside of any benefit from the code. Um, so there could be room for a loan or venture capital fund for, for startups um, as a separate policy setting. So we're certainly looking to what those uh, supplementary policies should look like and where the code may not give real benefit. The other area is probably for the traditional publishers in rural communities at a very hyper-local level the likelihood of them deriving real benefit from digital publication and reach is minimal um, and is certainly not going to go to offset the loss of revenue, advertising revenue that they've seen drained away from uh, COVID's impact and the bushfires impact to their local communities. And I think that has that critical need that's particularly hitting rural and regional news um, has been part of what has armed the government in moving forward with a pretty swift passage for this code is we've clearly seen the need for news in local communities through the bushfires and through COVID and the broad recognition from the community and from the politicians of news as an essential service. Now, 12 months ago, we were still having to prosecute that argument. What we have seen is the decimation into those local communities and their economies. And where news has shut down in those local communities, it becomes much more difficult for those communities to survive through the pandemic and equally to recover from the bushfires. So how this all comes together, I think the code is useful in that it is bringing the industry together for a broad conversation. It is helping the community to understand and the politicians to understand that the digital platforms are a necessary player in the news industry in the 21st century. But what it is is a landmark case in setting the rules for engagement amongst all the parties and contributors to news. So it's exciting. Uh, what remains to be seen is how it all comes together and how all the different parts of industry can come together to really build sustainable models specifically for public interest journalism which is our focus so anna it's not going to be a money spinner if i decide to set up a news site overnight and do the parkville news i'm not going to be able to collect from this code not on the current eligibility conditions no not until you make 150,000 bucks which you'll do pretty quickly andrew it'll be weeks. a highly successful publication i'm sure yeah there's so much I want to ask you too about collective bargaining and whether, you know, you've talked about rural communities, whether this will bring them together as entities to have some collective weight to bargain against the large companies. There's, I mean, there's, you're absolutely right in saying that this will be a, a good model that will test whether or not the industry can work collectively together. Yeah, look, I think what, it, what the code has thrown up thus far is the need for further 
capacity building within the in industry. So the peak bodies that exist uh, across different parts of the new sector, their remit is different. It's not necessarily about collective bargaining. So I think that's certainly going to be something where the industry really needs to give considerable thought of how it may come together and across different news productions, so broadcasters and publishers, or do we have subsections? Um, are we looking at large-scale news producers together with hyper-local or is it only the really small players that all group together? These are broad questions that are still sitting on the table in front of us all. I think it's uh, fair to point out that, of course, this is arbitration and it's arbitration, not collective bargaining, because of the concern you have raised about the relatively weak bargaining position of the smaller players. The other point, I mean, I don't want to diminish your point, but I'll just make that point. And also the ACCC, I imagine, will authorise collective bargaining by the smaller players. And at the same time, Rod Sims has already said he's not going to allow Google and Facebook to join together in their bargaining, and he's not going to let the big media players join together. Um, there is a rather interesting residual question then about how this whole process of multilateral bargaining on each side of the equation will play out. That'll be Pretty interesting. Well, to you both, to Anna Draffin and to Alan Fells, thank you so much for joining us for, for Media Files. We really appreciate it. The consultation period still goes on and um, that closes, I think, next Friday. So if people have submissions, they can still have a role in this process. But to you both, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.